electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Don't fight the Fed or don't fight the tape. Which side are you on? It's only the biggest and most important debate in the market right now. The investment committee choosing their sides today. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Jenny Harrington, Jim Labenthal, also with us on set today, our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. We go and see where the markets are just past 12 noon in the east, and we are lower across the board. We're off the lows, but we're still down across the board. Rates, though, today are not lower. 383 is where the 10-year note yield currently sits. So we're going to watch that. We're going to get into all of the market stuff, PPI and everything else, but We do have new moves from the committee today that I want to tell you about first. Josh Brown, who's been active lately, pretty active. You bought DocuSign. I want you to tell our viewers why you bought DocuSign. Uh, Good question. Now, look, this is uh, this is for me a situation where. Uh, I've never owned the stock. I watched it run to 300, and then I watched it fall to, uh, I don't know, 40-something. Uh, now it's back in the 60s. They don't report until March, I think, 13th or 15th. So this is the kind of thing that I normally do. I buy a very small amount, um, wait for the big bad news. If it's an overreaction to the downside, I add to it. And if it's not and the stock continues to break out, at least I've got some position on. It's the way I've always uh, bought very volatile stocks. And that's what this is. But I think what's important here is the company this morning put out news that they are further reducing headcount. They know what the playbook is. They've watched all the other technology companies do it. Uh, DocuSign is a verb uh, and, a, and a noun in, in uh, modern society. Even though there are competing services, we refer to those as DocuSign. I think they have an enormous business, a sustainable business. There is some question about whether or not they have a, a, an enduring competitive edge, and that's why the stock has come down as much as it has. But they are still growing in the mid uh, to high teens, uh, double-digit uh, growth. And I think this is a stock that, you know, this is a consistent theme for me right now. It got thrown out with the bathwater. People were calling it a stay-at-home stock. It's very stupid. I have uh, 20 people in my office right now. We're still using DocuSign. It's not a stay-at-home stock. I think it's a, a, a great business. And when they get to profitability, which is coming sooner rather than later, I think they'll have a, a, a newfound level of respect. So it's the start of an investment. I'm not calling the bottom for the stock. It may go lower. I'll add to it if I get an opportunity. I mean, you can't call the bottom. It's already 70% off of its... Low, right? Now, I want to yeah. ask you. Like, I mean, it's had know, a nice, it's had a nice. It here. Buying it it's here, a nice buying move. it now. That's right. Can they get rid of the notary? But I mean, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, yes, it's already had this, this great move. And you're undeterred by the fact that it's already come 70% off of its low, Josh. 
well, whatever whatever has happened in the past doesn't doesn't really make me any money, you know, in the future. Um, so, of course, in a perfect world, you're sitting there trying to buy the absolute bottom in stocks and sell the absolute top. But that's not really what um, I'm attempting to do. Uh, I want to be an investor here. I want to give myself the opportunity to buy more if the mm-hmm. stock price goes lower. And I want to follow along the company's progress as it gets to uh, what I think will be uh, uh, positive free cash flow, positive earnings, and it will no longer be considered one of these high growth, no earnings stories. I don't think you can wait for that. Uh, as we've seen with several other companies in this group, I think you have to uh, say to yourself, which of these companies has a business that I would want to be invested in two years from now, four years from now? That's what, It's not a trade, okay. uh, for me at least. I know I, there are people that are trading it, I got but that's you. not uh, how the, I'm looking The at. other piece of business I want to get to before we get into a broader conversation is, Jim, you're going to buy Oracle today, yeah. which Josh, I'm sure, is happy about. And maybe you got the idea in part from him buying it the other day. Why well, Oracle? I'm going to tell you this Actually, much, now I- I'm going to sell it. <laughs> Why Oracle? Seriously. I didn't mind the endorsement. I mean, it wasn't Josh. My team's been looking at this for quite some time. But here's the answer to your question. Here's a narrative. You remember on Tuesday, uh, I told you I sold Salesforce. I was underweight tech going into that. Now I'm really, really underweight tech. And I don't want to be that underweight tech. I don't want to be one half the market weight, uh, you know, when tech is like 24%. So where am I going to buy it? Listen, I hope, Josh, you make a lot of money in DocuSign. It's not my cup of tea. You know where I run. I run to the cheaper stocks. For better or worse, I am who I am. I was uncomfortable with Salesforce for that reason. And I'm happy being an Oracle. This is a stock, by the way, that for many, many years, like most of the last decade, nobody gave a hoot about it. It was totally unloved. Last couple of years, sentiment has started to pick up. It's attractive priced roughly 16 times next year's earnings, peg ratio of 1.3, 1.4% dividend yield. This is my kind of stock. Uh, so when I look at where do I want to be in tech, I want to be in value tech. I hope everybody makes money. I'm not taking shots at anyone. Value tech is where I want to be. You see it working with Cisco today. You see it working with some other stocks like that. I know Steph was on that day, Scott. We talked with her a little bit about IBM. Mm-hmm. I've been burned too many times in IBM. I'm not going to do that. I need a fresh start. Oracle is there. Okay. So we got that out of the way, and I like to do any sort of you know moves like that that, that you guys are, are making. I feel that's, that's unique to us. So Thanks for doing that. Um, I do want to get to the markets, though, Jenny, in this debate, which I think is the most important right now. It's this don't fight the Fed versus don't fight the tape. You know, the, the bears will, will say the one thing. The bulls will suggest the other. What side are you on? You know, this is such a hard year for me because I want to be on both sides. I don't want to fight the Fed, and I also don't want to fight the tape. So I am fully invested but cautiously. I have a little bit of cash. And so I'm trying to not fight the Fed by being very, very patient. So when I was on the other day, I said one of the companies that we've been researching is Stanley Black & Decker, for example. And so I am so convinced that I cannot fight the Fed, or right, that that the Fed's going to actually do something and help us pull the market back at some point, and then I'll get in at a cheaper price. At the same time, I don't want to fight the tape, which is why I'm mostly fully invested. I think being patient this year is the winning strategy because I still think we're generally range bound, you know, maybe with a 10 percent plus and minus um, range on that. And if that's the case, you're going to get opportunities along the way. But I'll tell you, it's really hard to sit here this year and not be doing things. It's been it's been, what, three, four years of huge volatility where you need to move quickly and you get opportunities all the time. And this year, I think you just sit there and you twiddle your thumbs and, you know, you try and you try just to let what you have in the portfolio bake. So I'm sorry to give you a lame answer, but I'm trying to do both and well, take the, advantage of the fact that both are, are realistic things to do. The real question is, are, are the bulls delusional? 
right, based on what the Fed continues to say, Mester, right, Steve, today. Jonathan Krinsky asked the question regarding a, a turning point for the market. Are equities looking past the rate moves and potential impacts from them, he asks today in, in a new note, or are they being complacent? And ultimately, that leads to a, a reversion to, to the downside. I mean, how do you assess the, the very debate, don't fight the Fed versus don't fight the tape, because they're telling two different stories? Um, on the first order, I wonder, has the market really interpreted the Fed correctly, the stock market? Because the bond market, I think, and the, I know, the bond market and the stock market are very much in line. The bond market and the Fed are very they much are. in line. And I'm specifically and talking about chart, the equity market. I've got a chart that really, I don't know if it answers the question, but it shows perhaps the dissonance. Since January 18th, which was the low yield on the Fed Fund's futures contract for end of the year 2023, mm -hmm. we have added about 70 basis points to the year-end funds rate. What do you think the stock market's done in that period of time since January 18th? Five. Oops. You can't see it. Five. Five dollars. Five sub, subway, right? That's a subway commercial, right? It's yeah. added 5% in that period of time. So <clears throat> the you question could is say it why? could have been 20. There, there's, there, there's the mark, 434 now, 504, that's 70. Over that period of time, the market's added 5%. Is it ignoring it? You tell me. I'll tell you what I think I know. I think that you've had decent earnings. You've had strong um, job growth. You've had somewhat declining inflation, not, not, not as fast as But take a look now at what's happened to the rapid update, Scott. That retail sales report, a complete rethink of the first quarter GDP. We did right, our rapid update you? on January 23rd, our full rapid update. This is a rapid rapid update. We just did the current quarter. We we're at 0.19%. You're going to add 1.3% of that because the retail sales numbers were hotter and higher. What does that mean for the stock market? More earnings, more spending, more stuff. Now, we could talk about the what, debt number. Okay. What does that, hold on. What, you say, what does that mean for the stock market? I've put it back to you. What does it mean for the Fed? UBS, they add a May rate hike to the projection now. They're talking about potentially June as well. Morgan Stanley, 25 in March, 25 in May as well. Now, June all of a sudden is a wild card. May you, is you, yesterday's story. Right, if you're so, adding May, you're, you're late. So We're adding June now. That's where we're at. You, you, and based on your reporting. Um, and you can look at the stock market. You can listen to my reporting. Either way you look at it, the debate right now is whether or not we're in June. We now have a 50% probability of a June rate hike. In the, in the cards right now. What does that mean? It means that the more hawkish wing of the Fed is sort of winning this argument in the sense that they were in that 540 camp. So hey, what, just what as, is that? Just as and we discussed this the other day, just as Brainerd is exit stage left. Yeah. A dove has left the building. Yeah. It makes what you're talking about maybe more plausible because the counter argument loses a critical voice. I think it loses a critical voice, but I think the story, Scott, is... There have been no doves in the inflation foxholes. Think about the people we're talking about. Mary Daly, I mean, Bostic, I guess you could go either way with, but uh, the, Susan Collins. Um, Kashkari went 180. Kashkari from did. To, from dove to hawk. Can you do more than a 180? Because that's what Kashkari <laughs> but here's what did. I want to know. more than a 180. So if, if you're telling us based on your new reporting and how you understand things that June is. In play. In play. Seriously in play. Josh, you tell me, what does that mean for the stock market? Stock market of late doesn't seem to care very much. I don't know if it doesn't believe that the Fed is going to get there. It doesn't think that it's going to be necessary because inflation's coming down. Or we are just in some strange world where stocks are just going to continue to go up for a little while. 
I think uh, in the estimation of the stock market, whatever basis points they're doing right now will be the first ones taken off if and when they need to be. So there doesn't seem to be that much stress about it. And I think what underpins the whole thing is the employment situation, which is really incredible. This will be studied 10 years from now. People are going to say, wait a minute, the fastest rate hiking cycle uh, or, or second fastest of all time plus tapering of the balance sheet and there were no credit incidents whatsoever in the economy and there were layoff headlines but no real movement in the actual headline unemployment reports for I don't know, nine or 10 months. Like, this is really an extraordinary time. And I think stocks are just behaving accordingly. Uh, I don't think it makes sense for us to have another 10% rally in the S&P purely on multiple expansion. That's probably not great. And if it happens, maybe you're going to want to look at that and say, all right, I'm going to lighten up here. Um, but we've had some multiple expansion this year. We had a pretty weak uh, Q4 earnings uh, report, at least historically, uh, both in terms of the actual numbers and the guidance. But stocks are looking through it, and they have done that in the past. It is not a historical um, for the S&P 500 to uh, look through these types of periods of time. So I don't know if it can continue forever, but that's mm-hmm. the situation that we're Bulls in today. Bulls are looking through almost anything that comes in their face, like uh, Jim Labenthal, for example. Right before we came on the air, we were talking, I think you may have mentioned something about the, the household debt number, the largest increase in 20 years. Credit card uses, usage is up huge. Delinquencies are up. It's all something to keep an eye on and say, OK, I, I get that the, the consumer appears to be strong. Well, everybody appears to be strong if you're just, you know, eating up debt and eating up debt and eating up debt. And your response to me was that ah, whatever. Diamond and Moynihan say the consumer's strong. And, and a little more than that. I'm tempted to pause and give you a chance to interrupt me. You're going to want to <laughs> interrupt me, okay? But try, just let me get this out, Please. okay? First off, credit card debt is back to trend, all right? And by trend, I mean it took that huge dip during the pandemic. It's back to trend. And by the way, that trend, when you look at those charts, it's always on a linear scale. It shouldn't be. It should be on a logarithmic scale, which shows we're below trend. And if you did it as a percent of GDP, it's even further below trend. But here's what the bulls, of which I am one, clearly, are saying to you. Believe it or not, you, you could choose to disregard this, saying a couple of things. The market's up because the chances of a recession have gone down. The market is also up because of the belief, right or wrong, that the end is in sight. Right or wrong, the belief that the end is in sight. Well, of the I mean, that's your interpretation campaign. of why the market. Absolutely. Up. I'm trying to I'm trying to qualify it as such. You put all this together. I do take a great deal of comfort with how muted today's response is to a pretty hot PPI. And Tuesday's was pretty muted to a not so good CPI report. What the market seems to be saying and what I am saying, I'm not hiding behind the market, okay? is that January's inflation numbers appear to be a blip in the otherwise trend that by the time we get to June, Steve, that trend should have established itself enough to the downside that you don't get the hike in June. Everybody everybody is George Harrison. This too shall pass. That's well, those are are the bulls. That's what I'm saying. Everybody is like, I, I, I love the way Josh thinks. I love the way you guys all think that the first ones on or the, uh, the, the last ones on or the first ones off. I don't want to cut. That I, don't want, I should say this. The bulls do not want to cut. You don't need a cut for your thesis is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and take a look at the 1990s where the stock market in the last half was up 25% over average over five years. Where was Fed funds rate? 6%, 6.5%? 
it's not the level. It's the rate of change. And the market is saying we're coming to the end, whether June's in play or not. Jim, you left one really important point on the bull case out, which is China reopening. And that's the thing I keep hearing, too, as that being a stimulant for the global economy and trickling in. So there, there's a lot out there that can kind of go with, Scott, your original question on don't fight the tape. You know, I think I think you can get yourself in trouble in the long term by fighting the tape too hard, which I don't know. Maybe it makes me a ball. Let also. me bring this up then, because on this very topic, and this came out late yesterday afternoon. We haven't discussed it on this program. It's from Marco Kalanovic of J.P. Morgan. He says there's an old adage, don't fight the Fed. But this behavior, and he's talking specifically about what's happened in growth, okay? That trade since the beginning of the year. But this behavior is not just fighting, but also taunting the Fed with crypto and meme stocks and unprofitable companies responding best to Fed communications. <laughs> How big is this bond equity divergence based on historical regressions? The move in two-year interest rates since the Fed meeting should result in a 5 to 10% sell-off in NASDAQ, Okay. That's from Kalanovic. So why don't you take that first, Josh, and then I'm going to go to Leesman on what he what he thinks about that comment, too. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I don't think the Fed is looking to have a reacceleration in nonsense uh, trading, but I also don't think that that's a very big uh, input into the things that they say that they're paying attention to. A lot of that is just like anecdotal, like, oh, hey, did you see Bitcoin's back at 25,000? Like, I just... It's hard for me to understand the linkage well, what, what do, between what do, well, the price of Bitcoin and the wages for employees. Well, how else would you measure yeah. what, what how else would you um, measure what, quote unquote, looser financial conditions look like when they get a little bit too loose for the Fed's comfort? How, how, would, how, how else would that show up? Credit spreads. Well, credits, credit spreads are super tight. They're super duper tight. Right. And. You yeah. know, growth Are there stocks any? Hey, and let me ask you a question. Stocks have gone me, up a lot. Okay, Mira, let me ask you a question. Are there any defaults? What should credit spreads be right now? Are there any Chapter 11s that you can think of? Like even 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 like publicly traded crypto stocks have have uh, have been rescued from. They look like they were zeros two months ago. Like what? Like why? Why would credit spreads be blown out right now? Nobody is having any trouble. Everybody and why is that out. the case? Well for, three, well, for three years, they were able to finance and refinance and refinance again without any issues whatsoever. And even if you think about historically, the types of companies that would appear in these junk bond indices that would be like in trouble from a slowing economy, those are actually the strongest sectors of, of the economy, of the market. Financials, mm -hmm. which are making a ton of money. And energy companies, which have never well, made more money. Let me ask this. That's where, that's where the stress would historically have been. Where is it? It's not anywhere. So why wouldn't spreads be tight? And I'm not saying they should be anything but tight. I'm just wondering, then the question I would ask Leesman is, to what degree is this, to use the language that Kalanovic used, taunting the Fed, provoking the Fed by having this sort of stuff go up the, to the magnitude it has in the market, this multiple expansion, these unprofitable tech stocks that are absolutely ripping since the beginning of the year. Does the Fed care about that or not? If they don't, they don't. I don't, I don't know. I think they do. I'm a little bit worried about kind of anthropomorphizing the whole thing, like somebody's taunting the Fed. The market is doing what the market is doing. I, I think I was sort of impressed with what uh, Josh was doing earlier with um, uh, DocuSign, which was a company that was crazy before and then kind of came back down, and now it looks like it's something that you can go back to the 
pre-pandemic idea of where does this stock belong. I think that's also true with the economy right now, Scott, which is we're still in the middle of this adjustment. I don't think that Powell, I think Powell is resolute, but I think he's flexible. He's resolute. He is going to bring down inflation. Loretta Mester said at the very beginning of her speech today, we are in it to win it. She was sort of saying after the Super Bowl, she's going to use that kind of language. Mm -hmm. There is no doubt that Powell is going to keep hammering these numbers until inflation gets down and maybe even get a 2% handle on inflation at the end of this year. But I think he's flexible. If we do get a rapid decline in inflation, I think they'll stop and maybe even trim a little bit at the edges. But I would not be if you can if you can go ahead and buy your stocks with a funds rate of five and change and they still make sense to you in part because of the problem Josh pointed out, which is a bigger problem for the Fed. None of these companies really have to refi mm-hmm. until like 2425. If we're at five and change in 2425, mm-hmm. that's where you have some difficulty. Mm-hmm. And right. I would be looking carefully at the capital structure of these companies. There's a lot of flexibility, of course, in the markets. But right now, Powell gets a pass for better or worse in that you are not withdrawing that kind of liquidity from the corporate bond market or the high yield market. And that's, Josh is right, for now, why um, credit spreads are low because you don't have the defaults. Right. So uh, thank you for being here, Mr. Leisman. That's Steve Leisman. I do have a news alert that we want to get to regarding Google Alphabet. It is Deirdre Bosa with that for us. Dee, what do you have? Hey, Scott, longtime YouTube chief Susan Wojcicki, she is stepping down. She announced so in a blog post, and her garage was famously the first Google office, so she's been there for a long time. She's been in the top position at YouTube for nine years, and she's going to be handing over the reins to Neil Mohan. He has been the chief product officer of YouTube since 2015, and he came to Google as part of the DoubleClick acquisition in 2007. In a blog post, Wojcicki writes, Today, after nearly 25 years here at the company, I've decided to step back from my role as the head of YouTube and start a new chapter focused on my family, health, and personal projects that I am passionate about. She says that she will help with the transition, and over the longer term, she'll take an advisory role across Google and Alphabet. Scott, this comes at a challenging time for Google. It is seeing narrowing margins, and revenue growth at YouTube is slowing given reduced ad spend and competition from TikTok. YouTube has been building out its own product, YouTube Shorts, but still figuring out how to best monetize this. The end of a chapter, certainly, though, remember, this was a $1.65 billion acquisition back in 2006. I don't think anyone at the time could have known that YouTube would grow into the behemoth that it is today under Susan Wojcicki. She was a big part of that. All right, Dee, thank you. That's Deirdre Bosa with that breaking news for us. Up next, it's our chart of the day, a stock dropping big time after earnings. Josh recently bought it. We'll find out where he stands on that now. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. All right, we are back, and it is time for our chart of the day. And Josh Brown, there it is. It is toast, which today 
is burnt. <laughs> it's down 21.5% on earnings. You just bought this the other day. Yeah. What have you done today? <laughs> so the way that I buy stocks is I start very small and then I add to them. And buying overreactions to earnings uh, is really something that I've done my whole life. And uh, today was no exception. It was actually a very good report, but the stock had run up so much going into it that I suppose there was nothing that they really could have said to justify where it had gotten up to. So I bought a little bit of 23 last week, talked about it on the show. Mm -hmm. It ran up to 27 prior to earnings. Now it's back at 20, 21. I added to it uh, this morning. And if you actually look at what they reported, revenue rose for the quarter to $769 million. The expectations were $753 million, so it was a top-line beat. $25.5 billion in gross payment vo- uh, volume across all of the restaurants they serve, uh, which was ahead of expected $25 billion. And most importantly, the number of uh, uh, locations using their software, restaurant locations, uh, rose 40% year over year. That number is now 79,000. So, you know, this is exactly the type of growth story that is very out of favor, uh, not maybe year to date, but just over the last 18 months. But these are the stocks that I'm looking for right now. So I had an opportunity to add to it two bucks below where I bought it. I took that opportunity and I'm sticking with it. I, I, think, uh, I think this is going to be a very large company. And I like everything that they had to say on the earnings call. And uh, that's my story. Yes, I mean, CEO was on not, what, 10 minutes before we came on the air as well uh, today. I uh, missed it. Very, was he handsome? Telling a very positive, tell, very positive story. All right, Paramount, Jimmy, okay. getting slammed. Okay, well, it was. Slammed. It was. Well, okay. it was. Okay. It was okay. down 6%. I define slam different. It was. It was. It was down 6%. <laughs> What's it down now? Let's see it. Like two? Let's see I, it. I, I like this defensive, it's a, Scotty. It's 45 there it is. this year. Before. Wait, that's defensive, Scott. It's down three and a half percent. It was down six. It's up ten percent okay. on the week. Look, Scott's Slammed. So okay. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's right. do it. All seriousness. I, Wax I poetic about, this. about it now. <laughs> go, because I know right, that's good. what you're going no, to seriously. do. So go ahead. You remember Tuesday we had uh, a grade my trade from Bill in Michigan? Yeah. Remember it was, this was a good discussion you and I had because I said <laughs> stick with it. Okay. Okay. And you yeah. said you said listen, this was good. You said, are you serious? Like it's up 32 percent. What are you What are you telling this guy? Bill from Michigan. This is yeah, a great since opportunity. He, since he bought, he bought it, it, it was up like 30 some odd percent. It was tremendous. Okay. A- but, as as you had said, you used the pop. In, I I said that because you said you used the pop in Salesforce. Yeah. To get out. And I, so I was like, well, how do you say that? And then tell Bill to not take advantage of the pop in, of a in Paramount. Right. Okay. Let, let's make this clear. All right. Because first off, for a long term investor, you look at Paramount and you say this is way below fair value. They added 10 million subs to their streaming business. They've got 77 million. It's about a third of Netflix. Bottom line is they're growing really rapidly. 10 million in the quarter. They're well on their way to profitability. Uh, it's not going to be this year. This is a year of peak investment. This is going to be a negative free cash flow year, but next year is where it pays off, okay? I'm in it for that. Now, to your, and again, this was a great discussion on Tuesday for Bill in Michigan. You, just, you don't even have to address me. Just, I, you okay. can just look in the camera Bill. and address Bill in Michigan. Bill in Michigan. Bill's like else. throwing tomatoes at the camera Bill's right happy. now. Like, what you happy. tell me to Bill's do? happy I'm talking about. I'm giving him props on this. All right, this is for Bill and anyone else. You have to decide. Are you a long-term investor like me? Then you can follow me. Stick with Paramount, okay? 
Or if you're a short-term trader and you're saying, you know what, it's up whatever it is, 40% year-to-date, and I want to take my, my win and go from there, I, I, I applaud you. Go ahead and do it. But stick to your knitting. If you're a trader, go ahead, sell it. I'm a long-term investor. I see this way below fair value for the results that this management continues to put up. They're on their way to profitability. Based on their track record of how they executed this company, I have every reason to believe them. You could still, by the way, be a longer-term investor by nature and still say a 40% pop in a month or so is crazy in my book. So I, I can take the profits and leave and I can still be an investor. That doesn't mean, you know, you're I'm not being kind of, facetious at all when I say you could. I choose not to. I know okay. you don't. Yeah. OK. Shake Shack. I mean, is that getting slammed? Should I say that's getting slammed? That was down earlier, too. What's that down now? Let's put up Shaq. Josh Brown. That's not getting slammed. Really meh. defensive. It's meh. I like this. Down three and a half. <laughs> well, I mean, yo, I'm just going to make I just sure say I one, the right language. Can I say one thing? You guys, I don't want to offend you guys. You guys. <laughs> you. You you guys do this you guys do this doc and share it with us and everything's getting slammed or soaring or plunging. I know. Yeah. I know it's TV stuff. This is fine. This is fine. The stock the stock was up forty percent year to date. Like literally. It's okay. Come down three percent. Uh Shake Shack. Beat on top line, beat on bottom line. Revenue was two hundred thirty eight and a half million versus two hundred thirty eight point two million expected. Um, earnings per share was a loss of six cents. The expectation was a loss of 11 cents. The stock actually was up 7% um, pre-market before, I don't know what happened, the conference call. Uh, maybe the guy cleared his throat the wrong way. I, I, don't, let, I don't let earnings reactions like this affect uh, my long-term plans for the things I'm going to invest in. And so today is no different. Um, this is a stock that's been somewhat of a roller coaster since COVID. But all of that stuff is fading away. And what they've actually been able to do is build a ton of new locations. They've done a lot of licensing deals overseas to broaden, uh, broaden the network of stores all over the world. And they're going to build another 40-something stores, another 15 drive-thrus. The drive-thrus end up being better financially, better locations than the regular stores. They're doing everything right. So I'm very happy as a, as a long-term shareholder here. No complaints whatsoever with the report. Okay. Do you want to reveal any other parts of the doc that we send out while, while you've just done that? I mean, this is like, you know, this is like state secrets. <laughs> no, they're not. Right. Stop it. Jenny. Uh, Cisco. It's soaring. Not getting slammed. Soaring. It is soaring. Is it, is it, is it soaring? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost 7%. percent Screaming. Soaring, I don't know. <laughs> it's like a rocket ship. They beat, they raise, they hike the div. What do you think? Yeah, it's a great quarter. So this is interesting. We've actually owned this for 10 years. We bought it in 2013. And the combined return between the capital appreciation and the dividend is about 85%. A little bit more on that. So... It's something that we just keep sticking with, and we ride it through good times and bad times. But what you've seen for the past several quarters is Cisco's been saying, demand is strong, but we can't deliver because of supply chains. And at some point, you start to think, is that just an excuse but that management's making? And this quarter says, no, it wasn't. Supply chains are easing, and things are getting better. They're now expecting revenue to grow in the 9 to 10.5% range, whereas mm -hmm. before it was 45 to 6.5%. You've got a stock trading at 13 times with an 8% free cash flow yield, a 3% dividend yield, and they raise that dividend. So to us, this is just a wonderful core holding that sits in the portfolio for a long time. All right. All those reasons why it's surging Sorry. today. Surging. <laughs> it's almost 7%. Surging. <laughs> Coming up, Snap is holding its investor day this hour. We're going to head live to that meeting for the latest headlines. We are back in just two minutes.
All right. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Snap's investor meeting underway as we speak. And Julia Borston is at the company's headquarters with some headlines for us. Julia, what do we know? Well, Scott, Snap announcing at the Investor Day, which just kicked off, that it has 750 million monthly active users. That's up from 600 million the last time they announced this number, which was back in April of last year. Now, the company recently announced that it has 375 million daily active users, so half of its monthly active users are on the platform daily. The company also announcing that it reaches 90% of 13 to 24-year-olds. Another key note here, Snap just announcing they believe that the the has the potential to reach 1 billion people in the next two years. So just for some context, Facebook has nearly 3 billion monthly active users. CEO Evan Spiegel saying that while the macro environment has shown signs of stabilizing, it does remain a challenge. So they are focused on what they can control, including growing engagement so they could generate more ad inventory. He also talked about how they've reduced or eliminated investments that are not connected to their strategic priorities. And Spiegel talked a bit about how he sees augmented reality having massive potential as a game changer for their business. Scott? It's monetizing the users, though, that you talk about, Julia, that's really critical, right? The, the revenue per user was one of the missed points in the, in the prior quarter which was why the stock, at least in part, was down as much as it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that's interesting here is they talked about their, how they now have more people consuming the content that's not just from their friends. That's very important because you could put more ads into that content. If, you, if you're tuning in to watch premium snaps or snaps that have been curated by the platform, that can be more valuable than if you're just communicating back and forth with their friends. So that does seem to be a tipping point here. And that's another point that they just indicated. And he's talking, uh, you know, he acknowledged the popularity of TikTok in saying that there's no doubt that short form video has exploded in popularity. I think what we're going to hear a little bit more about today is how they're going to use their advantage in augmented reality uh, as leverage, really, to be driving that advertising growth. And you said we got Spiegel coming up later today, right? That's right. We have an exclusive interview with Evan Spiegel that's coming up in the 3 p.m. hour of Closing Bell. All right. Good stuff. We'll look forward to that. Julia, thank you very much. That's Julia Borston. Let's get the headlines now with Seema Modi. Seema. Here's a news update. One or more unnamed witnesses who testified before a Georgia grand jury investigating possible interference in the state's 2020 election may have committed perjury and should be indicted if there is enough evidence to support prosecution. That's what the panel says in a section of its report publicly released today. Now, the grand jury also says it found no evidence of significant fraud in the balloting. Utah Senator Mitt Romney saying former President Trump, in his words, by far the most likely to become our nominee. And the only way to stop him is for the party to rally around his opponent in a two-person race. And after six years on the show, Ryan Seacrest is leaving ABC's Live with Kelly and Ryan, saying working with Kelly Ripa has been a dream job. Ripa's husband, Mark Consolius, will be her new co-host. How about that? Scott, back to you. Okay. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. Up next, our call of the day, a debate on how you should be playing the top-performing semi-stock ahead of its earnings next week. And during February, we are celebrating Black Heritage through the stories of some of our CNBC teammates, contributors, and leaders in business. Here's Philip Marmon-Holm. He is CNBC Vice President of Business Operations. Having a father from Ghana and a mother from New York with Southern roots, I've always felt connected to both my African and my American heritage. Uh, the values of education and perseverance were instilled in me at an early age, and I take those values with me in my career as a finance and a business professional. My advice to others is to identify your talents and work to attain the skills necessary to succeed in your career. 
but also recognize that success in your career is about so much more than your technical skills. Mentorship and support networks are a great way for you to build the network and understand how to navigate the workplace. All right, we're back. NVIDIA has surged more than 50% to start the year, helped to drive the recent rebound in the chip space overall. Deutsche Bank, though, still slightly cautious on that stock. They say the fundamentals remain challenged. Shares are fully valued. We've made it our call of the day. Josh, you own it. Uh, there's been so much optimism around it, including from you. I just felt like when I saw this call, uh, reiterating a hole, just tapping the brakes a little bit, if you will, was worth discussing. What do you think? It is worth discussing because it's an expensive stock. The thing is, it's never been a cheap stock, even having been cut in half uh, with all the other technology stocks over the last year. Even at those levels, it wasn't selling at a discount. Um, but that didn't stop it from being up 55% year-to-date this year. So there are other things at play with these types of names where they capture people's imagination and they put people in a position to capitalize on a trend and that has been the story of NVIDIA over the last 10 years. Way before people were excited about AI, they were excited about the cloud. They were excited about machine learning. They were excited about um, crypto. All of the uh, uh, metaverse, all of the, the next generation cutting-edge technologies seem to revolve around nonlinear computing. In other words, GPUs. And NVIDIA is the king in that space. So this stock does, from time to time, get caught up in excitement. You, you have to decide, I'm a trader in NVIDIA, and I'm going to fade it when it gets out of control to the upside, uh, and then try to capitalize when it gets crushed. Or you have to decide, you know what, I think this is a long-term compounder. I think they will be dominant over their end markets for years, if not decades to come. And I'm willing to uh, grin and bear the ups and downs, not get too excited when it rallies, not get too despondent when it sells off. The latter is what I've chosen to do since 2015 when I first pulled the trigger on a buy. And that's where I still am with this. So I, I get that a lot of excitement is already priced in, um, but people need to understand. They said that about Tesla before it ran up to almost a trillion dollar market cap, um, that it was too you know overvalued or expensive. Like stocks will defy your opinion of what they should be trading at based on fundamentals. It's why this game is so hard. So you have to, like, balance those two opposing ideas in your head at the same time mm -hmm. or choose not to play right. and go, go sit and, and, and buy Intel and, and wish you were dead. Like, those are your Watch options it, here. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I mean, Whoa. after delivering flowers, that's how you leave Watch that. with those pot shots. <laughs> that was not a pot shot. I didn't say your name. It was a reason. Jennifer. A nuclear explosion. <laughs> All right. I want to finish this conversation by just addressing quickly AMAT, which reports tonight, which you recently sold. Or not that recently, but you did sell it. Right. So do you have any, any thoughts for our viewers ahead of the number tonight in overtime? I mean, because we don't own it anymore, I'm not that heavily involved. But the reason we sold it, mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully made a smart decision. And it shows up in the numbers, which was there was limited earnings growth ahead. And it was trading at a full valuation. And this is where I think you need to parse through the semis. And you need to say either there is significant earnings growth or it's trading a very compelling multiple. So we held Teradyne because there was very compelling earnings growth there. We held Intel because it was very compelling valuation there. And AMAT didn't have either of those. So it was kind of just fine. And we thought that it was at its full valuation. We didn't think it was going to trade down significantly. But if it did, we would have been willing to bring it back to buy it back. 
All right. Up next, Mike Santoli will join us for his midday word. We're back right after this. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli, there he is at the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. Um, I don't know what sort of can really upset this market these days, right? I mean, another hot inflation report apparently can't. Not yet. Um, Maybe eventually what's going to upset the market is uh, a pervasive sense that buying the open every day is easy money and and, and there's nothing literally that can rattle uh, the tape. But so far, you know, PPI, not typically that big a market mover, still lent uh, a lot more weight to the too hot uh, scenario out there. And then, of course, Mester talking about half point last meeting. We absorbed it Uh, again. You know, even the yields haven't repriced that much today. So uh, we're ping ponging between these levels. We do have an expiration tomorrow, probably not one of the more consequential ones. Uh, but I, I guess it's it's net encouraging that the market finds traction continually so far in this area, 4,100 on the S&P. All right. I'll see you in a few hours. A little tight today, right. but I look forward to our conversation and your last word in overtime. Mike Santoli coming up. Grade My Trade is next. Send us an email. Ask halftime at CNBC.com or tweet us. We're right back. News alert on Tesla. Phil LeBeau joining us now with that. Phil? Scott, this is a major recall Tesla is announcing after an investigation by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Tesla is recalling 362,000 vehicles, model year 2016 through 2023. Why? Because the beta full self-driving software may cause crashes. So as part of the Recall, there will be an over-the-air software update sent to those vehicles with the full self-driving beta software system. Uh, Unclear exactly what that uh, over-the-air update will do, but this is the end or the next step, we should say, in what has been a long investigation by NHTSA into claims that full self-driving beta software does not operate the way you would think it should operate if it's completely fully self-driving software. In other words, vehicles are going through stop signs. Vehicles are reportedly going forward when they're in a turn-only lane. A number of incidents reported that NHTSA looked into. Following that investigation, Tesla has agreed to recall 362,000 vehicles with the full self-driving beta software. No reaction, not a ton of reaction right now so far, Scott, and I'm not surprised given the fact that there, there have been claims for a long time that this software was not ready for prime time, despite Elon Musk saying, yeah, you you will have a car that will take you anywhere. It'll drive on its own. It has widely been reported, and many people in the industry have said for some time, including Tesla owners, look, this software is not fully self-driving. Yeah, that's a lot of cars, 362,000. Uh, Phil, thank you. Uh, and as Phil uh, noted, this stock is, has, has definitely taken a turn lower, but certainly not by all that much as you as you just saw. Let's do grade my trade now. All right, Josh, you're up first. Dylan in San Antonio, Texas, has been consistently sizing into REITs, trying to diversify through different commercial real estate sectors, lately been investing in invitation homes. That's the one you own. Realty income, Cube Smarts, and multifamily REITs. What's the outlook? It's tough to say that there's an overarching outlook for the entire sector because of how diverse it is within the the group. But I do own REITs broadly via Vanguard's VNQ ETF, 
which gives me all of the various types of REITs in one package, very low expense, fairly high dividend. Uh, it's actually a distribution, not a dividend. Um, but yes, I also own Simon Property Group separately uh, because I want to be overweight that relative to the REIT universe. And I also own Invitation Homes, which is my way of being a landlord but not having to deal with property. Invitation Homes owns 80,000 standalone single-family homes in some of the best zip codes in America. And they pass along that rent in the form of funds from operations, which then become distributions. So, voila, I don't have to paint anything or hire any plumbers. Uh, and I still get the income. So, yes, I, I like REITs. That's how I do it. Okay. Glenn in Charlotte wants to know from you, Jenny, about Newell Brands. I bought Newell $13.25. Great dividend. Stocks rallied. Should I hold it? What do you think? Okay, well, first of all, you get an A+. Awesome trade. Do you guys remember a couple months ago, Josh said the funniest thing. He said, if you want to trap Jenny Harrington, get a box, prop it up, and put a dividend under it, and she'll just go for it. Well, this is one that I haven't gone for. So this has about a 6% dividend yield. Obviously, I'm, like, dying, right, to look at it and thinking that it's Newell and Rubbermaid and this and that. We want to own it. But the reality is, is that a lot of demand was pulled forward during the pandemic. It's only earning a couple cents. It's too expensive. I don't own it. I'd sell it and be careful with it. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Final trades are next. All right, we're going to rock and roll in overtime tonight, 4 o'clock Eastern. AMAT earnings, DoorDash, DraftKings. So you don't want to miss any of those. And then you don't want to miss Liz Young, Cameron Dawson, and Stephanie Link as well on all things markets. I hope to see everybody 4 o'clock Eastern time today. Let's do final trades. Jenny Harrington. You're up first. Sure. Pfizer, a 3.8% yield, trading at 12 times earnings. There was so much excitement over the um, pandemic and all of their COVID sales. Those are washing out. People should get back to seeing normal earnings from them. Okay. Josh Brown? Uh, VNQ, 3.5% yield with upside. All righty. Thank you. And finally, Farmer Jim. Alphabet, Scott. Uh, it's been a week and a half since their disastrous response to chat GPT. Stock's down 10 percent. It's about $140 billion in market cap loss. That's enough. It's bottomed. Well, you don't talk about uh, tech stocks all that often. It's just right. right there in front of us. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you uh, in overtime, I hope. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.